Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. My name is Jim Burns, and I'm here to help you, work with you, give you some tips, strategies, and other things that you can use to help deal with the bullying epidemic. Bullying's everywhere. It's in homes, communities, families. It's in school. It's even in politics. Uh... It's all over the place, and it has gotten worse over the years. And that's the reason why I persist with this podcast, to make sure that people don't lose sight of the fact that it is around, and I don't want bullying to become the new normal, where we just accept it for what it is, because we don't have to accept abuse, disrespect, irresponsibility, And we certainly don't have to be harassed, sexually or otherwise, intimidated or bullied by anyone. And the key line is, stop, knock it off. Or, I'm not used to being spoken to that way. You can either slow down or we'll have this conversation at another time. We always have to make our requests known. And we always have to let people know when we want them to stop. It's important. You don't want to go along to get along. You don't need to get along with people who are abusive, and you don't need to have them as friends, and don't forget it. Today we're going to talk about a topic, and I got asked about this many times um, by parents and sometimes teachers, Uh, I've even considered it myself as a, a young parent. But the question is, how do we get kids to do what they're told when they're told to do it? It's an interesting question, isn't it? How do you get them to do it? You ask a kid to do something, he doesn't do it. Or you ask a young child to do something and they just say no. 
So how do you get them to do what you want them to do when they're told to do it? Now, admittingly, admittingly, it takes six, seven, eight times with just one request. In other words, pick up your room, get your shoes out of the living room, um, pick this up, take out the garbage, feed the dog, whatever. It takes six, seven, eight times for them to really get it. And that's with one request. In other words, the one thing might be feed the dog. And they may constantly forget to feed the dog. Or walk the dog. There's a constant, almost like amnesia, where they just forget to do it. And of course they say, I'm sorry, and so on, and you move on. That stuff is more childlike and forgetfulness than non-compliances. And when you ask a kid to do something, you're going to have to make a decision as to whether or not, when they didn't do it, if it was childhood forgetfulness or was it non-compliance. If it's non-compliance, you got to do something. You have to hold them accountable. Now, Sometimes we allow too much choice in the life of the child. Now, we all feel free when we have choice. And we can get a big, you know, a little bit anxious when we don't know what color to paint a room or what car to buy or what clothes to wear. Sometimes it can even affect our decisions on whether or not we get married or get divorced. When young kids are given choices, we hope they make the right one. But if they don't, we hope they learn from their mistakes. But how do we help these kids make correct choices? And my thoughts on this hasn't changed in 30 years. We make it for them initially. And then we gradually shift the responsibility to them. In this way, they begin to understand what correct choices look like. And one other thing I'll share here. Don't ask them what they want to eat, where they, what they want to wear, or where they want to go. Tell them. So the idea here is we stop asking and we start telling. And when, when they're allowed to make any choices they wish, but but they weren't taught how to make the correct ones. They go through life believing that they can say and do anything they want. And they believe that they have the freedom or the right to choose. Freedom of speech, I've said it before, is not the freedom to say what you want, but the wisdom to say what you ought. And oftentimes when little kids are given choices, They get confused when the teacher asks them to do something that they don't want to do. And later in life, they could have trouble dealing with their boss or authority uh, authority figures, you know, like law enforcement or something like that. Abnormal relationships begin to develop when children start telling their parents what they intend to do and their parents 
authority becomes non-existent. And this happens in school where the kids try to tell their teachers exactly what they want to do, then power struggles begin, and the relationship between the child and the teacher becomes strained. Natural respect cannot develop between a teacher and a student when the the student believes that the ground is level and nobody's in charge. The teacher's then held hostage by this power-hungry kid and constantly fears an episode of disrespect that maybe they won't know how to manage. The trust that should exist was never allowed to develop and the only response teachers can have is to become dictatorial in order to have any control in the classroom. And maybe the only other alternative that the teacher has in this situation is to constantly provide extrinsic rewards for positive behavior because the students never developed any intrinsic motivation to do the right thing. Positive behavior then has a heart. It's very hard for a child to allow positive behavior to become part of their character. Now, I had this episode with my daughter, something like this, many years ago. And it had all to do with her playing soccer. She wanted to play soccer. We practiced. It was She was only six or seven years old at the time. And we, she told me, you know, I had to get her the cleats, the shin guards, you know, and so on. And first game comes, she gets on the field, she's in the starting lineup, she runs up and down the field a few times, she goes to kick the ball once, she slips and falls on her head. And she comes over to the sidelines and she says to me, don't make me play anymore, Dad, please. And I said, you're playing, you are playing, that's it. Well, we get in the car, and she's sniffling the whole time. And I let her get out of the car when we pulled into the driveway. And that ride home seemed like eternity because I was just completely worn out from her sniffing and crying and whining and everything. She goes into the house. I sit in the car and I say to myself, you know, who needs to play soccer anyway? You know, it's no big deal. You know, she shouldn't have to play. You know, and so on. So I go into the house, I call up to her, Dad, you know, I say, Sarah, and she goes, yeah, Dad, and she's crying. I said, come on down. I says, look, you don't have to play soccer, no big deal. And she looks at me and she goes, oh, thank you, Daddy. She hugs me. And, you know, and I I felt like a real hero to this kid. I really did. Well, time goes on. I have another daughter. And this daughter wants to play soccer. And we go through the same process. You know, the cleats, the shoes, you know, and so on. 
And we bring her up to the soccer field. And Grace, who was my youngest, my middle daughter now, she is great at it. She loves it. She just loves playing soccer. And time passes and Grace gets really good at what she's doing and she's enjoying it. And me and Sarah, who is now 15 or so, decide we're going to go up and pick Grace up from soccer practice, you know, and so on. So we go up and pick up Grace. She's sweating. I give her a Gatorade and a snack or something. And Sarah, at this point, was involved with, you know, looking good. Her ideas, exercise, maybe some Pilates, doing different things, clothes, you know, and so on. And she took one look at her sister and looked at me. And she took one look at her sister again and looked at me and said, Hey, Dad, why didn't you make me play soccer? Now, that statement alone is uh, pregnant with meaning, if you will. Why didn't you make me? See, I gave her a choice. I gave her a choice. You can play or not play. So what happens is she decides not to play. Now she says to me, why didn't you make me? And I says, I wanted you to play. You, you slipped and fell on your head. You didn't want to play. And she says to me, yeah, but dad, why didn't you make me? And I gave another explanation and I'm starting to get a little uncomfortable. And she says, you're in charge. I'm in charge. Can I share that again? You are in charge. You don't have to, with young children, allow choices at all. You have to tell them what to do. You're playing soccer. Set the table. Feed the dog. Too much time gets spent asking questions. And when we ask these questions, kids then automatically have a choice. And that's not what they need when they're young. They need us to provide direction and leadership so that they can see what the correct choices actually look like. And it's a problem. I learned from that experience. I'm in charge. That's what I was told by a 15-year-old kid who somewhere around eight or, to eight or nine years earlier... I allowed her to make a choice instead of telling her what she needed to do. My point to you folks is stop asking questions and start giving commands. Because when you ask questions, there's a choice involved here. And when there's a choice involved, the chances are good that the child is going to make the wrong decision or take the easy way out. Let me just illustrate for you. And by the way, there is a study guide for this. There's a study guide. And the study guide is basically how can we get kids to do what they're told when they're told to do it. And anyone can download it, and I'm going to put it in the episode description. 
and what this will do, and it is, I think, I don't know what it costs, $9.99. You can get this guide, and it will help you. It will guide you into how you have to go about giving commands. I'm going to give you a few right here. And I've got this blocked off where it's stop asking, start saying. For a teacher. We're going to do math now, okay? Well, suppose it's not okay. The correct languages take out your math book and turn to page three, we'll say. John, why are you out of your seat? Another question. Instead of, John, sit down now. Why are you late? You're late. See me after class. What's your problem today? What do you want to do? Instead, I need you to stop doing and then start doing. Did you hit John? And you're looking right at him. You you hit John and assign a consequence. By the way, when non-compliance is in place here, you need to give instruction warning, correction. Stop doing it. And if you don't stop, you give the warning, this is going to happen. If it the behavior continues after you've given a warning, you have to assign a consequence. Because if you give too many warnings, the kids will know they have that many chances. You want kids to do what they're told when they're told to do it. Now, that's just a couple of examples. Now, here are some things you can avoid by making statements rather than asking questions. We're going to do math now, okay? This is the statement you're going to avoid now. I hate doing math. I don't want to do math. John, why are you out of your seat? See, I had to throw something away. Why are you late? My mother woke me up late. What is your problem today? What do you want to do? School's boring. I don't want to be here. They will always have a response for you. They'll always have an answer. And that's part of the problem. And if they don't comply, you use the instruction warning and correction model and you impose relevant consequences. Relevant meaning relevant to the situation. You want kids to do what they're told when they're told to do it. And by the way, I have all of this spelled out for you in this beautiful study guide that I am going to put up in the episode description. It's available in the store. You have to click on it. Stop asking, start telling. Stop giving choices, start making sure that you make choice for young kids. Now the question is, when do I let them start making their own decisions? When you are sure that the child is compliant. Then you can let them make their own decisions. But until they're compliant, you choose for them. And the social workers and the counselors, the psychologists, 
maybe even some liberal parents and liberal teachers will disagree with me because they believe kids should have a choice. And they should, once they're compliant. Once they buy into the program that you've set forth, and that means you're doing what you're told, when you're told to do it, then you can start with the choices. But until then, you're telling them what to do and you're giving them commands. And if they don't do it, you're going to impose relevant and consistent consequences. Get the study guide, take a look at it, read it, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And we've built in a whole section on relationships and how to uh, give a warning and how to impose consequences. It's all right there for you. It's something that we all need I wish that I had had something like this when I was a young parent, but as it turns out, I wrote it, so I am offering it to you now so that you can take a look at this. Now, what happens when kids think that they can say and do whatever they want? Bullying becomes far worse. Harassment becomes far worse. We start sharing and doing and acting in certain ways because we don't think there's any consequence involved here when there really should be. And they, they were never exposed to a consequence, so what happens? They still they believe they can say and do what they want to do. And then all of a sudden, the consequences that get imposed are far bigger than they would have been when the child was younger. Now, instead of just, you know, having to redo your work, maybe, just maybe, you don't have to redo your work. You've got to redo fourth grade, fifth grade, tenth grade. Maybe you just don't get into college. Maybe when you're in college, you find out that you don't have enough credits to graduate because you failed too many subjects because you thought you could get away with it. These are all things. Consequences will escalate and get worse as kids get older. And we have to make sure that we take young kids and we train them. See, one of the things that I have here is Soren Keegard. The irony of life is that it's lived forward but understand ba understood backwards. I look at this from a standpoint of, you know what, when your kids are grown and you look at them, you'll see where you made your mistakes. We'll move forward and, the you know, we may try and forget the past, but the past won't forget us because we'll be looking right at it and that'll be our own children who have been given too many choices when they, who were given too many choices when they were little and now they're older and they're still making bad decisions. It's easier to build a boy than to mend a man. Work with kids when they're younger so you're not bailing them out of jail when they're older. Take the time to spend it with them, teaching them, loving them, and creating a solid balance of rules and regulations and compassion and understanding. Then and only then will they move forward in life with a healthy regard for authority 
a regard for the rights and privileges of other people, and the ability to do what they're told when they're told to do it with a good attitude. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I'm going to have this study guide placed in the uh, episode description for you guys to have an opportunity to purchase. The podcast doesn't run on its own, folks. We need help. I've set up a premium um, Anti-Bullying 101 premium podcast membership. It's going to be in the episode description. Click on it. You'll get brought to a spot. It costs $9.95 a month. I ask that you take the time and, you know, use this as a tool because there's courses in there. There's links in there. There's strategies in there. Things that you will just look at this one product costs $9.95. So take the time to do that. I love doing what I do. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes a production a team, it takes a lot of different things to make sure that this podcast runs, so help me out. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. I hope you all had a pretty good Thanksgiving, I or a great Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. You enjoyed your time. I don't know whether you were with family or not. I don't know. Probably just, you know, as a couple in the house or... You with your kids, you know, within your small pod of known relationships so that you don't end up catching this COVID-19 thing, which I hope comes to an end soon, but I know the cases right now are on the rise. So be careful. Stay away from large crowds. And during the Christmas shopping season, it is so easy to say, I got to go out and get stuff. Shop online. Amazon delivers in two days. You can get what you need. But stay safe and make sure you wear a mask and do what you have to do so you don't end up being victimized by this horrible virus. My name is Jim Burns. Thanks for listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I'll see you the next time. You all have a great day.